This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. This week's episode is a chat with musician and philanthropist. What do you call it? Person who run who does well. <laughs> their name is Nicole Morales. Um, they got a, a great five hundred one c three organization that is called um, No More Dysphoria and a band called Hit Like a Girl. And I really love this chat. This is an adorable person, <laughs> very daring person. Um, I also want to mentioned that last week's episode with Alice Wu, the trailer for Alice's new new movie, which comes out May 1st, is available now. So I hope you saw that. Uh, that is called The Half of It. Very exciting. Hey, you know what else? Save yourself. My book, Washington Post bestseller, Seattle Times bestseller, indie bookstore bestseller. Was it a New York Times bestseller? No. But that does that just means that I have to write another book. <laughs> Or that you have to buy this one even more. Buy it even more. Um, I hope you please, I hope you please enjoy this episode. And thank you to Jordan, who's on Zoom with me right now and laughing. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Hi. Well, I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Sure, I would be glad to. Um, so my name is Nicole Marulis. I am currently based out of Montclair, New Jersey, and a I run a 501c3 nonprofit organization called No More Dysphoria. Our primary goal is to help uh, transgender and gender nonconforming people pay for different parts of their transitions. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I'm a musician, a bartender, and uh, that's kind of it. <laughs> so all things that are like very lucrative right now oh yeah big time <laughs> pretty much every cliche uh side hustle an artist has is what i do yeah i understand um i mean uh, lucrative in this current climate like bartender bartender is bartender is a tough one right now oh yeah big time there's just uh, you can't really take alcohol to go so we are not essential you, workers that is a great point you really i mean you can. It's from a different type of a place. Um, I think. I think Louisiana only, right? Right, 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 right. And um. So you. So uh. Did you say Montclair? Is that what you yeah. said? Yeah. 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 Montclair. What, where? What is? Where? What is that like right now? Um. It's pretty desolate. Um. It's kind of eerily empty. Usually there's traffic and people walking around and dogs barking and. There's maybe two people walking around now instead of a bunch. <laughs> I don't uh, think I actually yeah. know where that is in the state or if like you, where, like what, it, what it's near. It's, it's North New Jersey and it's like 15 miles from Manhattan. Like Got it. Uh, you get on the main highway and you could see the New York skyline from there. So very close to New York. Got it. Um, so wild and probably <laughs> pretty scary. Yeah, a little bit. It's just eerie. Like I, right. you, you live in LA, right? Like I'm sure it's just as empty, right? Well, I think that LA and New York are the feelings. I think are really different. Of, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. Like I don't know what Montclair usually feels like, but 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 what I do know, New York usually feels like is like crammed with people on the street, and mm-hmm. um, you know, LA, uh. What is strange about being in LA during this time is that, like, yes, there's more foot traffic. Yes, mm-hmm. nobody's going anywhere, but it's not really a city that um, runs on public transit or right. that runs on foot traffic. Um, like, I walk everywhere, but I'm a weirdo <laughs> in this town. Um, and so, some parts of this that are also weird is like my daily life is very different because like I'm not seeing friends and stuff like that. But if I looked out my window, it doesn't necessarily seem like something has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's also just like an odd 
feeling, you know, where it's like, I know my job is canceled. I know my girlfriend has been sick. I know that like things worldwide are really stressful and that many people have like many different things that they're dealing with. But if I looked outside, it kind of looks like what my street looks like. Well, yeah, I mean, the sun is out and I actually live across the street from a CVS. So I see people Ah. going, I see people going in and out with masks and gloves on and everything. So it's sort of more in my daily view for sure that that is that's a whole other thing is like mm-hmm. uh because that's that can be i think for me that can feel kind of scary you know like i've been to, I've been to the hospital a couple times with my girlfriend and like just seeing the thing that you're used to seeing with the added mm-hmm. protections like it 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 like it's scary to see it you does know? your girlfriend have the coronavirus um she yeah, she's been. Oh no, that is what that's what that's oh my what God. um, that's what. Yes, that's what her doctors think. Yes. Wow, I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, you know what? Things have been. She's doing much better. She can really Good. breathe a lot better. Good. Um, it was like super. Has it, has it been almost the two week mark? It has been past the two week mark. Oh. Um. She. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to go into it. I feel uh, like I'm not gonna do it anymore. But um, but just to say, we've been I've been to a hospital, so I'm just thinking about that in terms right. of what you're talking about seeing, um, CVS, like looking mm-hmm. out your window and seeing the masked folks, and like, mm-hmm. are you seeing lines out there and stuff like that, or uh, are people able? Not to- not yet, but they have that rule in place, but it hasn't wow. come over here yet. And the other thing that I know is, I had a friend of mine. Um, that texted me several weeks ago and was talking about how they had had um, top surgery, like essentially in the last week of elective surgeries because elective surgeries are currently canceled. Um, Right. Yeah. And so that impacts, you know, the work that you're doing. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure a lot of folks in the trans community, can you, have you been hearing from folks about that or like, are you on sort of the. Yeah. So I'm actually in in that. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a top surgery support group on Facebook just for myself and also just to like stay, you know, in touch with that universe. And yeah, big time. I see it posts every day of people unfortunately getting their surgeries canceled or postponed or, you know, whatever have you. I mean, it makes sense. I understand, but it's just, it really stinks to see people have to continue just like one more extra day in a body that, you know, doesn't feel like their own. Yeah, I mean, I think for anybody that's dealing with a medical need that is outside of the current specificity, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, when, so the good news is um, <laughs> hospitals and doctors have been adapting to caring for this um, timely medical need. Mm-hmm. But then the strange side effect of that is that anything else that was being dealt with in the medical system is now much more complicated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I would also know, imagine. Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Uh, no, I was just going to say, it's just like, you know, uh, I don't know if you have friends that are nurses or doctors or anything, but just even like hearing from them or seeing their social media posts, like, you know, um, they have to just scrub their hands and arms like for so much longer than usual just to come home and be able to like, you know, be with their significant other and hope that they don't spread it to them. You know, it's just right. a crazy time. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm also thinking about the fact that like, um, so, I mean, and this is folks that listen to the podcast will know some of this. So, so it's not like I uh, am revealing medical information, but my, my girlfriend right. has an autoimmune disease. This is part of why I'm thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she has like teams of doctors that she usually goes to in like an outpatient setting, you mm-hmm. know, or like I have a dermatologist that I see or whatever. And it's like, those doctors are not operating under normal circumstances because you can't have things like waiting rooms right now. Mm-hmm. So it's also that um, it's not just impacting the doctors who are working in this area, but then also, I would imagine beyond just surgery, it would probably it's also impacting things like access to hormones because you have to go sit in a waiting room in an outpatient clinic. You know, those are not necessarily prescribed in the ER. Right. And the ER is kind of the only thing that's up and running right now. Like mm-hmm. my girlfriend yeah, I, had to get a CT. We had to go through the ER to do that, where yeah. usually you could do that in outpatient situation. So that's why I bring some of this up because I feel like it's like because of these experiences I've had just like a little bit of understanding about what might be going on 
for other mm-hmm. people who, you know, for instance, like need anything from hormones to insulin and they're trying to yeah. figure out, oh, I have a regular doctor I go to, but much like a bar, to, <laughs> like a bar, that's not open right now. So, right. so what do I do? Yeah, exactly. I um, have been sort of experiencing that myself because I'm like in the process of trying to find um, a gender therapist and, you know, just start like the, I'm slowly starting uh, to transition. So I'm starting to think if HRT is a good option for me or anything like that. So even just right now, it's very difficult because finding a therapist is difficult because only X amount of people will accept like telehealth. Like mm-hmm. they'll talk to you on, uh, you know, through video conferencing and um, I have to get a referral from my primary care physician. And it's like, well, I can't even go to her office because right. I'm not actually physically ill. So they won't even see me. It's just a very, it's, I've, it's the worst time to be looking into these things right now. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> actually, you know, I'm realizing that we're using some sort of a specific term terms that like I know what we're talking about, but I'm realizing, you know, I have a wide audience who might be listening from anywhere and might not understand, you know, might have different understandings of the terms. So I'd love to start by just like I realized that I sort of brought up top surgery and like right. we didn't really talk about what that was. And then mm-hmm. you talked about a gender therapist and then Right, right, right. Um, HRT. So I'm just like thinking, oh, maybe we need to slow it slow down, it a, down a pace. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to talk about the work that you do uh, with no more dysphoria, um, is it? And I think that you mentioned this at the beginning, and I've also like looked it up, but it is specifically geared toward helping support folks who need financial assistance with medical intervention. Is yeah, that, it's actually is that right. Yeah, um, that's that was our uh, main goal in the beginning. But also, like, as of the past several weeks, I've been also offering rent assistance to trans folks and gender nonconforming people who need it. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, it was um, tr- gearly focused on just medical, like, um, so everyone's transition looks different. It comes in so many different colors, but it was initially supposed to just be to financially assist people that are looking to get um, hormone replacement therapy, which is HRT. Uh, maybe someone that needs to see a gender therapist, which is a therapist specifically geared towards um, trans and gender related issues. Um, and, you know, we were trying to help people pay for um, consultations, maybe for a top surgery, which uh, could be a mastectomy or whatever. Um, but now it's just, it's sort of branched off into a whole other slew mm-hmm. of things because transitions are so different for everybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I want to start. And again, you know, most people that listen to queer are like in the community, but just being in the community doesn't mean that it doesn't mean anything right. about um, awareness of some of, of what some other people are mm-hmm. um, dealing with. So in order to get a prescription for hormone replacement therapy, um, or in order to see a doctor to start talking about something like a mastectomy, one first has to go see a gender therapist. Mm-hmm. Like there are, that's, there's like a, uh, so you don't entry into the system right. process. It's, it's not always that, um, that specific path, like you must do this before you could do this. And then you have to do this and get this letter from, so it's, it's not always like that, but that is generally the path that people have to go down. Sometimes you can get a mastectomy without, um, being on hormones or getting a letter or anything like that. Um, but you really probably should, yeah, I'm not a professional, but I think you probably should at least have seen a gender therapist at least once just to be completely hundred percent sure. Um, actually, I'm like surprised to hear you say that. Not necessarily like I just just because I don't, you know, know. Uh, why do you say that? Why do I say that you don't have to be on? Oh, why do I say that you should see a gender? Yeah, therapist? not not. Oh, I just like I don't know. I think um, based on just, nothing is why right, I'm asking. Right. <laughs> I'm like it's, just <laughs> in my in my opinion. I think it's just good to just talk it out with someone at least once, just to mm-hmm. you know hear all of your options from A to Z. Um, you know, understand all the risks involved and just, just to maybe be validated by a healthcare professional. I think it's probably a good idea. That's really interesting. I mean, I guess I feel like 
that does make sense, you know, yeah. given the, I think I just think sometimes about how when it comes to bodily autonomy mm-hmm. and that intersecting with medical intervention, it's really, it's a, it's, um, Maybe that's just my own, like, preference. Like I said, I'm slowly oh, yeah. beginning um, my transition. So I think, like, I also just sort of, for myself, need to be validated by a gender therapist or also just to, you know, have a doctor be like, yep, you should do this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me, too. I guess right. I'm just thinking about it because it's like, like, I don't think I don't think that people have to go to see a therapist to get a prescription for Viagra. And um, I just True. mentioned that because that's something that could intersect with. I've never, I've never taken Viagra before, so I'm not yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't think they do. I don't think they do. Um, you know, and I guess I just, I'm not, I'm not even disagreeing with what you're saying. Cause I see a therapist to talk mm-hmm. about a right. zillion issues. And yeah. I really think it's important. I think it's more so it's just like very, it's been interesting to me to think about the barriers that are set up for trans folks, which seem to sort of mirror the barriers that I see for something like abortion mm-hmm. and that like uh, gender um, like transition and abortion kind of fall under the category of bodily autonomy things that the patriarchy would have a problem with versus oh, sure. something like a Viagra prescription prescription is like bodily autonomy things that the patriarchy would not have a problem with. <laughs> so right. it's, it's, uh, it's not that I think people shouldn't talk to some folks like, I hope you do get the chance to have that because I mean, it's something I prioritize in my own life. It's just interesting to think about like the, um, like the way that is for lack of a better word, like the way that uh, folks who don't fall under a patriarchal system are like kind of hazed through our own medical care. Like, right. And that that can also be really good because you need that support. Yeah, you just want to play it safe. I don't know. I don't. Uh, it's kind of like you can get in the car and drive without putting your seatbelt on, and you'll probably be fine. But <laughs> you know, if you put your seatbelt on, you're not going to hurt anybody either. <laughs> just taking that extra little yeah. safety precaution. Absolutely. Um, and why? Why did you feel the desire to start this? And a five hundred one c three is a um, a nonprofit organization. And mm-hmm. one thing that you know, um, one thing that I think about a lot is the number of like individual sort of Indiegogos that are the seeming prevailing way mm-hmm. folks have been able to meet some of this need. Is that, is it like from that sort of a thought of like individual people trying to drum up, drum up fu- funds based on essentially their their popularity uh. <laughs> um sort of yeah that um it was a thought that came to my mind when we first started this but um in the beginning when we first started this organization it was me and some friends and two of those friends are trans but they're super um stealth like in the closet they don't want anybody to know um they really regret telling anybody that they're trans so they for example, would never put up an Indiegogo or anything like that just for the sake of um, security and remaining, uh, you know, quiet about it. So I think it also creates that middle ground for people who are also not necessarily out like that to reach out to us privately and say, hey, we need help. And, you know, some people, not everyone, you know, some people are out and proud and that's, and they also have GoFundMes and stuff, and I'll just donate to their Go, GoFundMes and Indiegogos and things like that. But there definitely are a number of people who have very strict, maybe uh, transphobic families that they live with or that they're friends with on the internet that they couldn't post uh, about, you know, things like that. That is, that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, are the, the, I mean, and, this is like speaking so generally that maybe there is no answer, but the folks that you know that are in that sort of um, stealth uh, mode. <laughs> mindset. Uh, yeah, mindset. Stealth mode is like for video games. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Any of your uh, friends that are video game experts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
are those like when you're talking about somebody like that, is that somebody who maybe is planning for a future transition? Or because I think there's there's also two ways for that to be true for you. One is planning for a future transition, not wanting to reveal that now. Mm-hmm. One is you've already transitioned. You're in a workplace or a sort of environment where you don't necessarily want to a- acknowledge that that that's part of your identity, or for mm-hmm. whatever reason you don't want to yep. acknowledge. So there's like folks sort of in the pre, and then there's folks sort of in the post. Mm-hmm. Does that seem yeah. accurate? Absolutely. I know people that are in both of those categories and um yeah for it just mostly comes down to i think um trans folks essentially don't really some don't want the label as trans like they don't want to be considered a trans man or a trans woman they just want to be considered a man or a woman so remaining self throughout the entire process kind of ensures that for them or gives them that sense of safety i would say yeah. You know, we sort of, I, I mean, I say we now because, you know, I'm cis passing right now, but, you know, for, it's just a privilege that people definitely don't think about every day. Um, well, actually, can, can we talk about that for a moment? Because sure. yeah. so you're, so you started this organization when? Years wise um, or time wise? Yeah, I start, it started as um, a little planted seed in 2015, and we really started uh, blossoming in about 2016 and onward. And, um, and it started with uh, me and some friends who have since dropped out because of their fear of maybe getting um, recognized or seen as trans or whatever so for their safety they backed out but you know gave me their blessings so now it's me and a different little group of friends who kind of do it it's mostly me but yeah (laughs) (laughs) and you identify as non-binary correct yep yeah yeah. and yeah you use they them Mm -hmm. and for um that and identifying as non-binary using they them doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of uh whether or not you'll ever seek medical transition or, or any. I I am interested in top surgery, but I am in no shape or form ready for um, HRT just yet. But that's why I'm looking for a gender therapist because I want to know if that is the right course of action for me. Whereas right now I'm not sure. And when you were first starting the organization, did you already have this awareness in your mind that you yeah. would want to have top surgery down the line? Like, did you put yourself, I guess what I, my question is, did you put yourself in the category of people that would be served? Um, no. And that was like our big thing in the beginning. It's like, we all kind of like put our hands in and we're like, all right, none of us are going to, you know, uh, benefit from this money at all and then break. But, <laughs> you know, we... That, yeah. So in, when we first started, I actually wasn't, I because w- I'm not, I wasn't very educated on um, mastectomies and top surgeries and things like that. So I never considered that as an option for me. I was just like, oh, I'll bind for the rest of my life, and that's that. But now, um, several years later, just being way more educated about it, it's a lot less scary now. So that's why it's a real option for me now. Um, yeah. And it's nice to be that person who can talk it out with other people who maybe aren't so educated about it or you know just need someone to talk about it with yeah what what shifted the scariness for you um i don't like doctors that's like number one who likes doctors i mean yeah. yes people i'm sure they're fine you know right. <laughs> i'm sure they're great yeah i don't know i uh just the entire idea of like going into a hospital and then like going under anesthesia and the healing process afterwards like all of that was just like completely terrifying and it still kind of is um and the permanency of it obviously Mm. is scary so it's like that's why me personally I want to talk to a gender therapist just to like be sure like that's like the right path for me I always kind of felt like I would be more ready later on in life like my 30s or so um but lately it's been more and more in the forefront of my mind, which is why I'm dipping my toes into it now. Are you not in your 30s? 
I'm 28, so I'm knocking on 30s. I, I feel very happy that later in your life is your 30s. That makes me <laughs> overjoyed because, like, that is later in your life. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, tomorrow is also later in my life, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Um, the, my 30s are almost in the rear view. I'm 38, so what do you want to know about the future? <laughs> um, do you have a flying car? Um, great question. No, <laughs> I'm, th I'm three hours ahead of you. So technically I'm technically the you're the future. That's right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, to be honest, those are some of the same fears that like I have just about any surgery. Mm -hmm. I'm have you ever had surgery before? Like any no, sort of surgery? No, I've never broken a bone. Like mm -hmm. I do my very best to stay out of a doctor's office. Yeah. I mean, I've had weirdly, weirdly, uh, I've had for, for an overall, like fairly healthy person, I've had an uncommon number of surgeries had multiple surgeries I, I, on insides of my ears, multiple I'm, eye surgeries. Not sure if I should say I'm sorry or congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Multiple <laughs> knee surgeries. I had my arm surgically set when I was a child because I broke oh it God. so badly. That's what I'm saying. I've had like, wait, hang on. Two eye surgeries, two ear surgeries, two do you, surgeries. <laughs> wait, do you have, do I've you, had seven surgeries. So when you um, go through TSA in an airport, do they stop you every time? No, because I have never had anything put into my body, oh, okay, only things okay. removed. Gotcha, so gotcha. unfortunately, there's not like a cool metal thing. You're, you're know, not part that, robot. Like, no, not yet. <laughs> uh, but we can hope. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've had a weird number of surgeries for a overall fairly healthy person. And I think that, I do think it's like a very human fear to worry about. Well, I think some of it is like, a fear of like losing control, loss of control, yeah. like and to not to be to put to sleep, like that's yeah. like scary, you know. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Awake? No. Is it somebody it, being awake during surgery? Yes. The I already that, knew what it was about. Just exactly. Based on the look <laughs> well, on your face. Right. So, it's horrifying because that could happen. I forget what the actual term for that is, but you know, it, it happens happen. very infrequently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That happens very infrequently. That's why we have anesthesiologists. <laughs> Don't watch that movie again before. I, don't watch, well, period. Don't watch that movie again. All right. Well, if that <laughs> happens to you, it's probably because you didn't count backwards or do the alphabet backwards like they right. tell you you're supposed to before. It's, it's, it's also probably because I haven't seen the movie. Right. Like, I'll be laying, laying there like, oh, if I'd only seen the movie, I would know <laughs> what to do to get out of this situation. <laughs> but, right. That's like well, I accidentally watched um, Contagion. I made my – not made my – I – Asked my girlfriend if she wanted to watch Contagion, like very early in this whole process. Can I, don't know can, I, can I guess? Is it about something that's contagious? It's about a pandemic. Have okay. you? Do you not even know about Contagion? It's no. like so. It's a Steven Soderbergh movie. It's very good, okay. but it's about a pandemic, and it is, uh, you know, terrifying. And also, it some parts of it are like Matt Damon is one of the stars of the movie and he lives in like a small town that's being like looted and burned mm -hmm. to the ground. And it just so happens that this was filmed in the actual small town that I grew up in. Oh, wow. So like there's a scene where Matt Damon is like driving down this small town where like the bakery is burning and, the and there's your high school train over station. There. Exactly. <laughs> it's literally like my mom is waving like, well, that's what the future looks like it's so it was so on the nose and um anyway but it's very good but uh don't watch it if it's your hometown if yeah. awake if you star in the movie awake don't watch it is what i would say my um, my my friend from high school's brother was in that movie that's the only no! reason <laughs> that's the only reason i know it exists what a nightmare what a yeah. terrible nightmare uh yeah well um how how many folks have you been able to help with your organization? Oh, I wish I counted. Um, that crossed my mind. I was like, you mean like a vague number? It could be four. It could be forty thousand. Oh, definitely like not vague. Vague. Not definitely not either of those. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I could safely and confidently guess between maybe like two, three hundred, maybe. Oh wow! Like, yeah. Just about. I mean, we, we help people in very small increments and then also very large um, ones. So, you know, the amount of like smaller, because some people don't ask for a lot. Some people just ask for help with a binder, which is a very um, 
quick, easy donation for us because those are, you know, $40. So we can kind of do those a little more often. Um, whereas then the times we've helped people pay for like um, surgery consultations, like those are a little more infrequent because it's obviously a lot more money. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, this is like, I don't know. That's a very, I feel like moved thinking oh. about somebody um, being in a situation where they really need the, you know, the $40 for the binder and just yeah. like, don't have it, especially. Uh, I just, yeah, I get it. You know, like I just, I know what it's like. And that's kind of what helped inspire starting the organization to begin with. I just understand what it's like to um, feel powerless and feel like you're stuck pretending to be someone that you're not because you almost feel like you quote unquote have to. Um, whereas because you don't have, you know, financial resources or just any resources for that matter, or someone just to talk to. So like, I just get it. And I think that's sort of why I am so passionate about this project. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Where did you grow up? Here in New Jersey. Uh, so I grew up around a lot of mean people. <laughs> and I luckily <laughs> is did that, not. Is that, does that the, the truth the, about the, New Jersey? The stereotypes are all true. We're all mean. <laughs> I've been to New Jersey and met some nice people. Let me think. Some. Yeah, um, there's, a, yeah. There, there's a few. So what kind of, what kind of, did you go up in Montclair where you live now? Is this I'm literally a, a town over called Town Little Over. Falls. Yeah. And uh, the general vibe of that town did it's, not. It's, it's fine, you know. It's <laughs> average. <laughs> it's, when it's you fine. were, I, when I, you, I, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was gonna say, I personally um, just kind of stereotypically grew up in a broken home, and you know, I kind of was forced to grow up very fast, and um, had a lot of adult experiences happen to me at a very young age. So, um, me personally, I feel like I. Um, grew up very poor and just had so many confusing feelings trying to figure out who I was and you know understanding coming to terms with like you know growing up being non-binary not knowing that you're non-binary was very difficult to wrap my head around and you know figuring out I was queer all that stuff so I just understand what it's like to be a young person not knowing what is happening you know so it's nice to be able to be that person that can guide people and be like this is happening and you feel this way because of xyz you know absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah i do i yeah i hear you um when you say you had some like adult experiences too young do you want to talk about any of that does i feel like something we that would um yeah i mean without getting like too sob story ish I guess like something I can say that doesn't bother me is you know I my parents and I didn't really get along a lot when I was younger and I felt a responsibility to sort of I have two brothers um my older brothers wasn't really nice to us and me and my younger brother sort of like were a duo and I felt like I had to kind of take care of him so I remember very specifically like going to the store and like just stealing him like candy because I felt like that was me taking care of him you know um things like that just feeling responsible for someone else when I was like 13. Yeah you know it's interesting that some of the stuff that happens to us in our lives that is like some of the worst stuff or that has 
that we look back on it and might feel sorry for ourselves. You use the, you know, the term sob story or whatever that can very often also create uh, the attributes that, that then lead to our best work mm-hmm. in, in um, moderation. So yeah. like hopefully not like stealing, but <laughs> right. um, like, you don't know, steal people. Like I hope our yeah, listeners or like, like, you know, steal if you need to, but like, yeah, but um, Walmart is fine. Don't steal we've all everybody. seen Aladdin. We know like, anyway, uh, but, but um. <laughs> This idea that you had to provide for somebody else and mm-hmm. felt responsible to someone else, some of that creates the, you know, the positive attributes of being a community focused person. Right. I just hear you say that and I'm like, yes. And then this, and then they grow up to, you know, care about and protect other people. Right. Because sometimes yeah. for me, it's like, I look at the things in my life that, um, you know, it's complicated to sort through what are the negative experiences and what are the positive experiences of our lives. I know that that might sound really um, strange because it feels like things, you know, sometimes should be so black and white. This is a negative thing that happened to me. But well, you can't um, have you can't have good without bad. You know, it's really that simple. That's right. Yeah. So it's it makes a lot of sense to me that somebody. Yeah, that you would then you know, grow up and have this urge. To- yeah. I feel responsible. Not, not, just, not like it's like my sole responsibility. Like I don't feel like I'm the avatar of the trans community, but um, yeah. you know, I feel pretty responsible for taking care of my queer community as best as I can. Well, some of that is the difference between responsible for and responsible to. Yeah. Yeah. And that there's a big difference in there. And if, you know, if we can all, if, if we're able to move to responsible too, like that's really positive. Mm-hmm. Sometimes responsible for, especially as an adult can get pretty exhausting and taxing. Sure. Yeah. It can create um, a stress that maybe didn't have to be there to begin with. If you do change the narrative to responsible too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what, do, so, I mean, it's just very interesting to me that you're like doing this work while you're simultaneously figuring out what's going on with you and trying to attend to yourself. Like that's not so different from my story. You know, mm-hmm. I started doing stand up and wanted to talk to people about like, Hey, it's like fine to be gay. That's like what I'm saying on stage, but it's like the person who like needed to hear that the most would be me because right, I actually yeah. was the person who heard that the most, like, <laughs> like the the person who's seen me do stand up the most is actually me or like, yeah. you know, heard me do stand up well, the most. Do you ever, do you ever um, give your friend advice? And then, like, need to take that exact same advice, like, the next day or two. You're like, oh, wait. Uh, or, you know, or, or it'll be vice versa. And your friend will be like, hey, you should take your own advice. And you're like, well, why would I ever do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, so you have this background and, like, this upbringing. And then what happened next in your life as you became, like, a young adult and, you know, teen, those types of things? What was happening next for you? Um, yeah. After, like, after I kind of had a pretty decent idea of who I was. You mean? Well, like, did you, did you go to, like, did you go to college? Did you like? Oh. I know you're in a band. Like, how did how did these how did these things in your life play out? Um, um, well, I wanted to go to college because I would thought that was like what you're supposed to do. Like, you know, there's like this like unspoken of like quote unquote path in life. Um, so after high school, I was like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to go to college, and then I guess I'm supposed to study in something that's not gen ed, and then I guess I'm supposed to get a career in that. But whatever. I so that didn't work out. Um, I couldn't afford to go to college and I didn't really understand what applying for a FAFSA meant and grants. And I I just didn't understand any of it. So I just ignored it, which is kind of what I do with a lot of things in life. I just ignore them until they go away. And that um, always works, by the way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But music has always been the one thing that's been super consistent in my life. Like even if I put it on hold and come back to it a year later, it's just always been there. So one day I was just like, I should just continue doing that because I know I like it. So that's, I started writing songs and didn't show them to anybody, never did anything with them, just would play them alone in my room and then uh, dated someone that was in a band and kind of learned some stuff just from observing that. And then when we broke up, I was like, I'm going to do this for myself. And uh, No More Dysphoria was kind of starting in the beginning of that as well. And at the same time of me trying to make my music career happen, I, No More Dysphoria just followed along with it. So now the two, my band and No More Dysphoria just are one thing now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just art and 
expressing myself has always been a big thing for me. When you say they are one thing now, what do you mean by that? Not like exactly one thing, but um, at my shows uh, on the merch table, for example, you'll see um, Hit Like a Girl merch and then you'll see No More Dysphoria merch intertwined on the same table. Um, I wrote a song about being non-binary and I called it No More Dysphoria. And people just kind of know now that um, Hit Like a Girl and No More Dysphoria are one and the same. And Hit Like a Girl is, is the name your... of, uh, my band, yeah. Yeah. And that's like pretty I'm like thinking about that and if I if I have a direct example of that because I certainly know other um you know mus- musicians or even myself as an artist I've like combined a thing you know mm-hmm. raising money or awareness for something with work that I'm doing but it is really interesting like you're saying that it's like maybe sounds like a, a closer relationship between yeah. the two things than Well it's just like trying to create like what's any artist's number one goal is to create a brand and a platform, essentially. Um, and maybe some artists' number one goal is to make money, and that's fine, good for them. But um, I sort of am, I've, the way I see it is if I can make my band have a platform, that means I can have No Mercy For You have a platform at the same time. Or um, that's, I mean, that's kind of it. It's like it's easier to reach people through the music community just because that's all I know. And I've been going to shows for so long and DIY, um, that DIY music culture has always been a part of me. So just, I understand it. So it's just easy. It's like, how do I want people to know about No More Dysphoria and how do I get people to get involved and be aware of these things? Oh, um, I know I'll create a platform with this thing I understand and then combine them. Yeah. I mean, it, it also sounds like, yeah, it's a different kind of music show than maybe some people who are like like less in a punk scene would maybe know what mm-hmm. you're talking about like what kind of shows are you playing where there would be like a merch table where these things would like playing house shows are you playing at rock clubs like what what kind of environment so so both i guess um so like my band we play house shows whereas sometimes i fill in for other people's bands where we'll play like 200 cap rooms or so um like my other band play has played at troubadour in LA before so like that that size of a room I guess um and that's also so like we'll accept donations at the merch table and I'll sell t-shirts and things like that just all go towards the nonprofit, and that's like a big like um you know we are feeling the effects of that now with like this quarantine and stuff because I can't we can't there's no shows there's no events happening so it's like we're not getting as many donations because that was like the main source for that yeah how could people donate now uh probably just directly through paypal um which is just my email no more dysphoria gmail um or yeah probably just that (laughs) yeah that's really i mean so i think something that's really interesting to me about a lot of stuff that you're talking about is like how on the ground it is you know because i think um Again, it's just like, I think a lot of times when we're reading or hearing about something like this, it's like, you know, you imagine this sort of like very professional merch table where you like don't necessarily see the band and then like... Oh, no. Oh, no. There's like cat cat hair on like the (laughs) (laughs) Or like it's something, you know, we're fundraising. We're not necessarily in the community, you know. So I just think something that's remarkable about what you're talking about is that it feels to me in line with like a lot of queer history, you know, like it feels Mm -hmm. like in line with sort of a thing that uh, queer people have done in the past, this like house show thing where like maybe you're sleeping on the person's couch that you just like played next to the couch and like that's the couch (laughs) that you're sleeping on. And then you're, you know, getting some extra donations that then you're going to give back to the community. Yep. Um, and, you know, buy a binder for somebody who might have been in the audience that night. Like, that that's, is, a, I think... A, that's literally happened so many times. Or, like, there's been so many shows where um, people would come up to me and be like, oh, we were talking via email. Like, you bought me a packer. Like, thank you so much. It's just, like, really cool to um, see it come to fruition like that. Mm-hmm. And the the folks that are... Is there an age range from the nope. folks that usually rage? Like, if you had to guess, well, oh, are they, well, is it younger Oh, it's definitely all over for sure. Um, definitely more so younger folks. Like um, definitely a lot of people under, like I think you have to be like 17 or 16 to have a job. Like definitely um, 13 year olds will hit me up, 14 year olds. Um, but then also, 
you know, people my age as well who just maybe are down on the luck uh, in between jobs, uh, things like that. And how are folks getting in touch with you most often? Mostly through my email, um, big time through the email. Or um, like I said, people will approach me at shows because they have maybe just heard of what I'm doing and, you know, want to talk to me in person, things like that. Yeah. And when you were in that age group, like, you know, you said 13, for instance, were Mm -hmm. you going to shows at that point? Like, is this something where you were that kid? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I I was probably about 15 when I started going to shows just because that's, you know, um, like figuring out that they were happening via MySpace and stuff but yeah i actually don't know i was not a 15 year old going to cool underground shows i was like seeing neil diamond when i was 15 which by the way i stand by neil diamond fucking rules but yeah that's pretty cool yeah i definitely was not like you know that's why i say it's like i um you know this has never been my scene like Mm -hmm. it just hasn't and then like later when i was in in the early stages of comedy, it definitely was mm-hmm. um, the equivalent of this. You know, I've performed at people's houses before yeah. or like one time, I mean, I've, I've done, I have done every type of show in every type of place. Let's uh, hear it. Oh, you want to hear a really good one? Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I did one hour for a bachelorette party. Okay. Uh, it was like a, like not even a bachelorette party. It was like a bachelorette brunch. I think there were 10 people there. I did not know the person who was getting married. So she said okay. to do like an hour about someone I did not know. Oh no. For her and her friends while they ate eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and also there's a stage it was like I just was standing next to them. <laughs> like near the well, bread. I guess whatever. that would explain why you're so good at doing this podcast because you just talk to people for an hour that you've never met before, right? That's what's happening that's, right now. That's exactly right. Also, you're utterly charming, so you're making <laughs> oh, it easy. Thank you. This is fun. <laughs> you're a sweetheart. Um you as yeah, well. so I think, I think like I, I have, you know, I have the understanding from like a performing perspective, but like when I was a teen, I was like just not doing this stuff mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have occurred to me, you know, to plug into this type of community. I think I just kind of um, took the parts of myself that felt different and sort of like shoved them down at the time. Yeah. And, you know, they came out eventually, but, um, but I also know this has always existed, this like thing of, you know, queer kids gathering and um it's very much so the island of misfit toys but for <laughs> queer punk, punk queer punk kids yeah <laughs> yeah um would you say a lot of your how much touring versus performing in new jersey like how often are you local versus how often are you outside of new jersey um we have no following in new jersey we have a big cool. following everywhere else <laughs> great yeah so then i i also think about that and how interesting it is you know, thinking about this from like a public health perspective, it's like we have not figured out. I mean, okay, so, you know, nationally, mm-hmm. certainly we have not figured out public health. Nothing could be more clear <laughs> at the present moment. Right. But, you know, when I think about something like um, gender identity, uh, that has not it doesn't feel like it's being solved. I mean, much, much like the current pandemic, it's like not being solved from like a top down approach. Like it's not like there's clear information and a process that makes sense being communicated directly. And so sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, in that case, like there is no fucking president right now, essentially. So like governors have to do it. Mayors have to do it, but also like neighborhoods have to do it, or my apartment mm-hmm. building has to do it. Like we're pulling resources because right. there isn't like a larger thing. And when I think about something like, um, you know, when I, the reason I mentioned the like GoFundMe's earlier, it's like this is stuff that should be essentially dealt with by you know employers, family systems, communities. Uh, publicly available health insurance you know yeah. like a, but it's not and so sometimes you know it's a person who feels that they can like post publicly and then it like gets enough attention because of who they happen to know but then mm-hmm. other times i mean t- what you're talking about feels like this it's like such a microcosm <laughs> of community health you know it's like direct action community health mm-hmm. and it's interesting to to think about that as you know, as you were talking about art as activism, it's like, it's literally like art as community health. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. Things don't change if we don't do anything about it. So I think, like you said earlier, like it's very like on the ground, very direct for sure. Um, it's just, it's like, if you want something done, go do it yourself. Or like <laughs> back in back in the day, like bands had street teams. I feel like, you know, it's like the the queer LGBT street teams. Yeah. For you. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I would also imagine that then, you know, for thinking about your fans or for people who might come see you, then this also... It creates a safe space. And it puts you in a different category too, you know, like you were we, talking about whether people want to make money or whatever. Like I, I want to make money doing my job. Who the fuck doesn't sure. want to make money doing their job? Right. Yeah. And I also often feel that like, I am not the, I am not the wealthiest stand-up comic I know. I, mm-hmm. first of all, I'm doing fine. But <laughs> what I, what I do have Good, glad to hear it. more often than most comics is like uh, people telling me how impactful I've been Mm -hmm. and like I think in a capitalist society sometimes it can be hard to value that because you're like but wait I don't have the you know whatever and um but I would imagine you hear from folks in your audience that like you have impacted them in the way that you're doing this direct action yeah um I think one story that has always resonated with me that I remember a lot that sticks out in my the forefront of my memory is um we played a show in um, Ohio and this band that jumped on the bill with us was uh, consisted of some trans members and they almost explicitly never get to play shows in their town because they never felt safe or comfortable and they heard that my band was touring through and they were like we have to play the show because like we know we'll be okay so that was super inspiring and uh, you know was like really cool to hear because I was like oh I guess this does matter what we're doing Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, for sure. I, I like love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember where you were in Ohio? Um, I think it was Akron, honestly. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like, uh, I love that city. It's a very underrated little college town. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Classic, uh, classic music city, too, actually. Yeah. Big town. Oh, that's amazing. Right. I mean, but even and what in, about? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say just like to comment on what you were saying right before that, um, how your your comedy has made an impact on people. Like, I don't think you necessarily have to um, do anything super radical to always make an impact on people in your community. But I think like you specifically, like, definitely have made an impact just by talking about um, queer issues and feelings and things like um you have like i think you have a joke about like a special friend when you were younger and like that joke super resonated with me Mm. because it's just like uh you don't realize that like that is what you're going through you know (laughs) so um yeah yeah, you you make impacts on people too for sure oh yeah i mean thank you i think that i i think i i do get a chance to hear that a fair amount which is pretty cool Mm -hmm. um do you hear that from audience members too yeah. Like uh, you said, you heard that from that band. Do you, do you hear yeah. that from? Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, get caught up after shows a lot, um, like around the merch table, just from people coming up to me, just letting me know that they had a good time and, you know, maybe otherwise don't get a chance to go to shows very often because they don't feel comfortable or safe. And, you know, I'm glad I'm able to provide somewhat of a safe space for um, some baby queers and trans people. Yeah. I mean, I think it's huge, especially because when we talk about representation, we we so often talk about it like in these kind of grand sweeping ways, like Mm -hmm. that it has to be on TV or like, like the show pose has to exist and be like beautifully produced with like crane shots on FX. And I think what you're talking about is like a very different sort of direct action. Yeah. uh, Representation that, that I know, um, that I know has been really interesting for me as a person who has toured so, so much in my life to be, to be like truly with people is really, is really yeah, different. Definitely. And like um, seeing people face to face and like, you know, seeing their facial expression when they say thank you. It's just like. And also having people see you face to face. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So what is, what is, what are you doing 
Can I ask a personal question? What are you doing to survive right now? Like, like obviously uh, the bartending stuff isn't working out. No dice right this exact second. You know, we talked about the this live performance thing that is not that has dried up. Like, how how are you going to make ends meet, or what's what's your plan right now for how? You're gonna uh, luckily, I'm on unemployment. And Congratulations. <laughs> right. I, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I was able to save a little bit of money before all this happened. So I'm yeah. riding off of that right now. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're on unemployment. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really good. But I was I was on a tour, canceled it, and then like drove home like straight from like, uh, we were in North Carolina, so we drove straight home with no shows. But uh, the day I got back, I applied for it, you know, like. Oh, I have um, internet. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, this is about to, this shit's going to hit the fan, like applied for it right away. So I've collected uh, two weeks already. So it's good. When you tour and you said you're in North Carolina, are you in like a, you're in like a car or a, uh, a van yeah. or how are you, how I, are you getting around? My daily driver is a 15 passenger van, as well as that being my tour vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> I that sounds car. hard to park. I, no, I'm actually the best um backer upper into a spotter ever that's excuse me <laughs> hard, I, pardon me let me be more specific that sounds hard for me to park <laughs> it sounds like lot, you're fine <laughs> it's a lot easier than you think the mirrors are huge <laughs> oh well you've never seen me park if you think it's a lot easier than i think <laughs> <All right. laughs> fine you can have that <laughs> i re- i like recently um I recently leased a car that has, for the first time, backup cameras. Like, I've been driving a car from 05 for Mm -hmm. the years that, like, I never had, like, a car hookup system that has a phone in it. Like, anyway, now I have a backup camera. And it turns out that not only is that cool, but also, like, potentially necessary. Yeah. Potentially uh, necessary. I, didn't even realize. I think they're great. If if I could somehow install um like yeah. a video camera or a webcam in the back of my nineteen ninety seven van and get a wire going through Perfect. to the front. Perfect. <laughs> I would make it happen. Perfect. Yeah, it turns out you don't even have to lightly hit the thing behind you every time yeah. you park. Um anyway. Well, I wanna ask you before I send you back into your day. Um, if you could shout out a queero, which is a, a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today. Um, I think I would like to shout out my uh, our mutual friend, John Allison Weiss, um, because if it was not for them, this A, wouldn't be happening. And B, um, I've just always looked up to them big time um, and have been a fan of their music for so long. So now that I can call them my friend is just truly an honor. Wow, that's beautiful. And you know, I it's funny, I was thinking so much about John Allison, like as you were speaking about the work that you do, you know, mm-hmm. that's a person that for for folks that are listening, that's the person that um, sings the query theme song. Like yep. I licensed a song from them for our query theme song, but I recently had um, John Allison on like a book tour Zoom. Like that person has really been uh, kind from afar to me over the last couple of years in a way that's like really been impactful in my life. I, I appreciate them too. And yeah. I- feel so grateful to be able to, um, you know, utilize their work. Like, cause yeah. I think it's, it really has been awesome to me to, to have some association with that song. And mm-hmm. yeah, that um, song definitely, that music video, it just like really, um, made a big impact on me and I was, am blessed enough to have done a little tour with them and, um, they, came up to me midway through the tour and they were like, you know, I went through my email and I found this old email from you from years ago asking if I could record on your record. And I was like, um, do me a favor and don't show it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that, um, I know that John Allison also had to cancel a bunch of dates and is yeah. pushing folks toward, uh, their band camp, you mm-hmm. know, which I would absolutely say to any queer listeners, is there any way also that folks could support your music right now in the midst of this like touring shutdown? Um, yeah. So we're also on Bandcamp. Um, it, I feel like it's 2020. If your band's not on Bandcamp, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's hitlikeagirl.bandcamp.com. We're also on Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, you name it. We're on it. And does Bandcamp provide the best financial? They definitely take a cut. Um, but I don't know. The music industry is pretty evil all around. Sure. Um, Spotify <laughs> takes point, uh, gives you 0.0001 cent right. per stream. There's just right. no winning. <laughs> right. 
Right. Is Bandcamp the best winning though? Like for I you? Think, I think if, so. Folks, yeah, we're yeah. going to try to support you. That's the yeah, yeah, closest sure. to winning. It's the nearest yeah, to winning. Okay. Yes. Got it. <laughs> the finish line. It's right it's, there. It's almost there. You did pass out right at the end, but <laughs> they'll move the finish line closer. Um, yeah. Well, it's been a total pleasure. And I hope that, um, you know, I hope I get a chance to see you perform. I hope that yeah. I get a chance to, uh, and, and likewise, I show. also, yeah. Uh, hope to see you perform well next time i'm in new york you can absolutely be my guest and i would love that unless i'm per- performing in montclair new jersey we Which, don't know uh, there's there's a anything's venue. possible <laughs> that's true and likewise <laughs> yeah um don't be a stranger okay you bet and thanks yeah. so much for the work that you're doing for our uh for our family it's really important yeah, of course thank you so much thank you so much yeah. for having me yeah my pleasure <laughs>